Would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 22? Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would cause your blessing to rest upon your word. And we ask that it would take root in our hearts. That we might live as unto God increasingly as the day of judgment draws near. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greatness. Uh, everybody wants to be great like Mike, Michael Jordan. Uh, that was, that was, you remember the old commercials for Nike and Michael Jordan running to the hoop and laying up uh, an easy layup over an opponent's head. And uh, we, we referred to him uh, and they would affirm his greatness. Uh, this last week was an introduction or an induction of a number of individuals into the Hall of Fame in downtown Springfield, not far, far from here. And human greatness was very much on, uh, on the, the, in, in the talking points as uh, presenters made and presented these various uh, awards and inductions of, of, of an honor into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And greatness is an interesting subject. And maybe there are some here this morning who thought, I really am not after greatness. I don't need greatness. I just want to be numbered amongst uh, the, the the most uh, amongst God's people. And if I if I get the last uh, uh, if I'm the last one in line into the kingdom, that's okay with me. Well, that's okay. You're 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 humble and you're willing to take your place, whatever that place may be. In the kingdom of God. That's a wonderful thing. But I would still say there's something inherent within the human condition that wants in some form to be great. We want credit for things that we have done. We want others to express their gratitude to us for what we've offered for them. We want acknowledgement as to who we are and what we've done and and what we think. Yes, I have done things in service to my fellow man. And yes, I have done things for you. In the words of that uh, wonderful actress, I don't know her name, but uh, she was awesome. Uh, She shouted from the other room to that, that ice character in The Incredibles, she says to her husband, I am your greater good. 
What she's looking for is recognition. She wants him to know that she is far more important than his ego. Greatness is an interesting subject, isn't it? It's in cartoons. And to be honest, it's in our hearts as well. We want recognition. We need acknowledgement. We, we, we all love to feel appreciated. And if we feel appreciated, isn't it true that we can go on? We can do things for... Uh, we can go on in service to others for a very long time if we feel in some way that we are appreciated. I think it was Mark Twain who said <clears throat> that he could live for two months off of one compliment. Uh, that, that's a good thing. I, I think in that compliment there's recognition, acknowledgement, credit, gratitude. Greatness, ultimately, is the subject of what the disciples are talking about this morning. But, but it, 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 it boils down to recognition, credit, gratitude, acknowledgement, appreciation, respect. All things that are endemic to the human desire that in some way our inner quality will be recognized. That's what this subject, this argument that the disciples have is really about. They've had a dispute they're there in the upper room with Jesus. It is the last night before his death. Uh, he will be crucified on the morrow. And, and he is there imparting vast uh, amounts of, of, of didactic. He is, he is speaking to them, giving them his last minute teaching. He is speaking in an intimate sense with them. He calls them his friends. He speaks at the end of this section, telling them that they will judge with him at his right hand and left the very twelve tribes of Israel in the last day. They have an immensely privileged place, each of them. They are with the Savior. They have been with the Master for three years or thereabouts. And they're busy disputing about who is the greatest. It's an interesting subject. And you wonder, where has this come from? Why are they all of a sudden? We, we pass from chapter 22, verse 13, uh, or, or, or verse 23, and on we go into verse 24, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus has just told them, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. And immediately they're arguing about who is greater. You see, because whenever you, you watch, uh, you watch young people or children, I think adults do it sometimes too, you watch, make an accusation against a person or ask who did this. And then people will begin to give you their qualifications as to why it's ludicrous to, for you to think that they could ever do such a thing. They begin to recount, I, I have never broken any of your, your, your crystal mom. And, and you know that what I do, I take great care when I go around the home. And you know how, uh, that I know how much you love that crystal. I would never break such a thing. We had an argument about that when I was a young, when I was a teenage boy. Someone had broken a crystal dish in our home and kind of put it back and walked away. And uh, before the Lord, I did not do that. I still maintain my innocence. But my father stood all four of us kids up before him and said, now, which one of you did it? And I'm, I'm standing there like little Ralphie in the Christmas movie. You know, who did this? And, and there's indignation on my face. And it wasn't me. 
And I began to recount, well, mom, dad, you know that I clean the house and I'm thinking of all these various reasons internally as to why they must, of course, see that I could never do that. Me? Lie? That would never sit in my soul. Usually I was convicted about things and would go to mom and dad eventually, even if I did cover up some things, which I did when I was a young boy, especially when I was a little young child, but I didn't do that one thing. But when people get together in groups like that, they begin to affirm, well, I could never exhibit that kind of behavior because, well, I was the first one the Lord called, you know. You remember, I I was... I'm, you know, we're the sons of Zebedee. We're, we're the sons of thunder. We could never betray the Lord. We're men of power, strength. Well, you know, you understand my legal prowess and uh, Matthew and, and uh, how could I possibly abandon the Savior? I've, uh, look at me. I gave up my lucrative practice, Levi would say. And you see, y- you can hear the excuses flowing from this statement, one of you will betray me. And each of them stumbles over the other to say, I would never do that. How could you possibly think that I could ever do that? Or as they point their fingers, I know that you did that. Because you know that you were you were one untimely called. I was among the first six that were called by Jesus. You know that I sleep closer to Jesus when we camp. And you know that the Lord called me his beloved disciple. I don't know. Who knows what the argument might have gone along as. But to be honest, this is not the first time that they've talked about this subject. There have at least been two other instances when they've talked about it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, have either sent their mother and or come with their mother to Jesus and said, I have a request. (laughs) We'd like to sit on your right and left hands when you come into your power and your kingdom. And all the rest of them were angry when they heard it. They began to be indignant at James and John. And there was another time when greatness in the kingdom of God was questioned multiple times, in fact. And in Matthew 18, Jesus teaching amongst the crowds, not in the upper room, There's a child there, he says, here, he he takes a child to himself and he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's not a call to immaturity for all of us to therefore go out and all become children. But rather it's a call to humble recognition of the greatness of Christ without pretension or expectation beyond what he grants and wills. Well, here in this passage, Jesus is there, and you just think of it, within 24 hours, he will be hanging on the cross. He is is the eternal Son of God. He knows the events that are going to take place to the nth detail. And yet here are his disciples complaining, arguing about who is greater than the other. Haven't they learned Well, Christ speaks to their argument and and in their indignation against one another. He gives he gives illustrations. He establishes uh, uh, spiritual principles. And then he makes a statement at the end of just just grace, just mercy. 
It's remarkable, though, that in, in the midst of all the things that Christ speaks to, he doesn't at any point reject or refute the necessity of greatness. At no point does he say, you want greatness, you shouldn't want greatness. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you vain, impetuous fools, what are you after greatness for? No, in fact, he affirms that greatness is something the Christian should pursue. Rather, he affirms that there is a different kind of greatness, not a greatness that comes from the world, but a greatness as characterized in the kingdom of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. So really, Christ provides for them the directions as to what greatness is and what that greatness is that the believer should pursue. What we really need is a wholesale revision of our aspirations and of our, our longings, of our priorities, of our striving. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, uh, I, I sometimes think that the very essence of the, the whole Christian position and the secret of a successful spiritual life is just to realize two things. I must have complete, absolute confidence in God and no confidence in myself. I must have complete, absolute confidence in God and no confidence in myself. Amen. If you would be great, then begin there. Take up that, that, that scepter of absolute confidence in God and, and put away that confidence in self. Now, there are two things that Jesus establishes here, humility and service. Now, humility doesn't mean sort of a, a perpetual and ongoing uh, inferiority complex where we're always thinking that I'm the one who is the lowest and the least. There's always a dark he- a cloud hanging over our heads, and we're always, as it were, walking about in sackcloth and ashes, and maybe others will see my greatness in my humility, or rather we are truly, uh, in our self-assessment, low, humbled, but, you know, acknowledging Christ in all of his excellence is to, it involves a great deal of self-forgetfulness. We often measure the love of God by our own measurement of our own self-worth. We often measure the love of God by a sense of our own apprehension of it. There are moments when I feel my wife deeply loves me. And there are other moments, impetuous, childish kind of moments, when she's busy doing other things, when I think, well, she doesn't really love me as much as I love her. But I know that she does. I know it to be true. There's never a moment. In fact, I think my wife loves me more than I love her. She is so loving. She is so giving. She's extraordinary. I love her love. There's no deficiency in it. But it's really, it's my feelings. It's, it's my own self-centeredness that feels self-centered and not really as, as appreciated in my pride as much as I think I ought to be appreciated. And she, she, I'm getting myself into trouble here, but I'm trying to illustrate a principle here, not call any attention to the deficiencies in my wife, which, of which there are none. Uh, 
Rather, what I'm trying to to illustrate and to point to is is my own inner sense of self-worth versus my own inner self-absorption and my assumptions and my own sense or feeling of what is always and continually true and yet what I may not completely apprehend in any given moment. Calvin said, nothing but the knowledge of God can produce humility in us. Sinclair Ferguson expands a little bit on that, and he says, humility is not simply feeling small and useless like an inferiority complex. It's sensing how great and glorious God is and seeing myself in that light. And so we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and really to take in the greatness of God rather than walking about with a constant sense of our own inferiority We know we don't deserve ultimately God's mercy and his grace to us. That we know. But let's dwell on the greatness and the glory of God. Christ establishes a principle here. And he illustrates that principle well. He talks about kings and rulers. And of course, uh, Queen Elizabeth has died in this last week and in the last few days. And so kings are very much in our thinking, not that we have any kings, but we, we have rulers, we have government officials, we have presidents, we have senators and house members and many other at the state structure as well. Let's think about this. The world and culture and government and society and really any structure with any system or group or family or administration or organization and even amongst relationships Greatness is measured in the world by artistic production, by accomplishment recognition, by ability, by personal properties, whether you're big or small, strong, beautiful, fast, slow, whether we can speak well, whether or not we we have deep intellectual abilities. We measure greatness in the world by leadership qualities and strength and power and charisma or harsh personalities even. We can respect people even of harsh personalities. Greatness is acknowledged. And Jesus is saying, we're dining at table. And and yes, that's a good word. Our dear friend, Dr. Vickers, used to love to use that word. When he would talk about having someone over to dinner, he would always say, well, we've had so-and-so to dine. Uh, which is an interesting word that is passed out of uh, much of the English language, but dining is a good thing. And it's still on some signs as we go out into the road and we look for restaurants. Fine dining, it'll say. <clears throat> Dr. Vickers, I think, is dining with the Lord Jesus even now and is sitting and reclining with him, resting and waiting for the last great day when we will all recline and eat of the fruit of the vine and rejoice in our Savior. Well, Christ establishes a principle that goes against the world's concept of what greatness is. And if you're looking for what our world thinks about greatness, just watch television. Greatness today is measured by those who boldly refuse to conform to all the norms in which we have lived. And in this day and age, that means that one transcends physicality, one transcends reason, one transcends intellectual grasp, one transcends even what is observed with our senses, 
And one can proclaim what they are without any acknowledgement or recognition of what, in fact, they objectively are. Greatness is measured by one's personal voice or one's ability to push back against glass ceilings and, and societal demands and even the very laws that we are all subject to. You're really not freed until you say, get rid of the police, we can govern ourselves. I'll tell you, if, if that ever ultimately leads to that, um, I'm a bit of a pessimist when it comes to the removal of the police and the law from the world. They are God's instrument against evil and ungodliness in our world, as imperfect as they are. And they are imperfect. Because you and I are imperfect. And you and I cannot judge always and completely, justly, and perfectly. And sometimes we can be harsh. <clears throat> but the reality is they are God's gift to us that we might, uh, that they're, they're the reason why we are able to worship today without uh, obstruction or interruption. Well, Christ establishes that society's understanding of what greatness is, is not the same definition in the kingdom of God. It's not the same thing. Rather, he establishes a principle regarding the kingdom of God. Greatness in the kingdom of God, true greatness, as measured by the Lord, is measured in humility and service. You might ask, well, what should that service look like? Well, it, it means at, least, at the very least doing what we do for the Lord without grumbling. It means doing what we do for the Lord in service and ministry, participation in worship, uh, helping in back or in the early start of the worship service or, or preparations for the building at 10 a.m. or teaching of Sunday schools downstairs for the children or preparing food and coffee for the after-service fellowship. It means doing all of that without grumbling or complaining, wishing that we were somewhere else or even playing the piano in, in a begrudging sort of way and thinking no one really appreciates the gifts that I have, not that our piano players would ever do that. They do not. They willingly and happily offer their service. But, but we know in our heart of hearts that there are moments when we can be begrudging and prideful, when we don't feel as appreciated as we think we should, when in fact we are. Getting back to my earlier illustration where I dug myself a hole in my marriage, the, the truth is that all of us can feel a little underappreciated or underappreciated, or that we frankly, pridefully deserve far more than we are receiving because no one really understands my moral supremacy and my moral excellence and the excellence of my service. <clears throat> well, it's true that as Christians, sometimes we can be begrudging in what we offer to the Lord. We can be angry in our service. Yes, Christians can do that faithfully serving God week after week and all of us looking and not ever really realizing that deep in their heart there was a, a hard kernel of anger. An anger that was born out of some offense at some point or some perceived lack of appreciation or, or an assumption of their gifts and their willingness to serve that someone made and they were hurt and they have remained angry Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. May God not permit you or me to serve in such a way 
But it's true that, that Christians are capable of doing service for the Lord intended for a show. We want others to see what we're doing or a service intended to humiliate one another. I want to, I want to serve the Lord, but I want to do better than she does. I want to do better than he does. And everyone will be able to see that I'm a much better elder than he is. Or I'm a much better cook or, 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 or coffee maker than, than, than the rest of them are. Or that my spread is better than theirs when I bring it on Sunday mornings. Or our home is far more beautiful and accommodating than theirs. Service intended for a show. Service intended to humiliate another. Service done in order to be recognized. Service that we say is for God but is intended to achieve something. Christian service being really ultimately before the Lord is to be a a willing submission to our God. A desire to please Him, done for Him, by His strength, done for His glory, done for His honor, done because we love Him. It's a humble recognition that we are no longer our own, but rather we belong to Him. It's a recognition of our obligations to one another to serve. Now sometimes we we feel that because... it. Service would in some way impinge upon our extra sleep on Sundays or it would mean that we would have to prepare the night before or the day before or the week before. That really it just takes so much time. We don't have the time. You know that's not true. We know that's not true. I know that's not true. Dear brother and sister, you've been redeemed for the purpose of serving God in his interests. You do not belong to yourself and your time does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. May God help us to abound in his work, being willing to do whatever we are needed in the church to do and not complaining about anything, but rather being willing to do just about anything to serve the larger body of Jesus Christ. There is an example provided in this passage for us. There is the supreme example of greatness. It's in verse 27b, but Jesus says, as he concludes this illustration of reclining at table, and he says, look, we're here eating. We're reclining at the table, but look who's serving you. But I am among you as the one who serves. What has Jesus just gotten done? He has, he has washed their feet, each of them, including Judas, the one who would betray him. He has humbly gotten on his knees. Think about what that task involves to get on his knees, to remove the sandals of these brothers, each of them, to take their filthy, disgusting feet with all of the corns and all of the corrosion and all of the split heels and all the stuff and the long nails and all the rest of it and to clean those filthy feet in clean water and to wipe them dry to clean those shoes, to put them back on, or to hand them to them to put by the door. And then he has gotten up, washed himself, and then he has then distributed the supper to the disciples. This is my body. This is for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What is Jesus doing? He's the one serving. The meal was to be prepared by them for him. And he is washing their feet and serving them. And so he says, you're arguing over greatness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in service and in humility. It's not measured in the greatness that you're after. You're pursuing the wrong thing. 
Not greatness. Greatness is good, but greatness is measured in a different way in the kingdom of God. And now watch my example. You're arguing about it, but who's serving you? You want to be great? Serve the Lord. You want to be great? Serve one another with humility. But I am among you as the one who serves. This morning, I just want to make a few practical exhortations based on this passage. You know, if you love the Lord and your desire is for Him, and you want to serve Him in ministry and service, and, and you're willing to take up humble work in the church or to work without recognition, and joy, boy, it would be nice once in a while to be recognized for the work that we do. You don't really need to worry about that, dear friend. The Lord sees. I think this needs to really come home to, to women, to mothers at home, who could never really be appreciated for the degree to which they lay down their lives for their children. The Lord knows. The Lord has seen. There is not one insignificant day, hour, or moment that you spend with your children. There is not one moment that you have spent in their instruction and in their care and in your embrace of them and in your phone calls still to them, even though they're past their 20s and they're out of your home. And as you pray for them every day, none of that is insignificant work. The Lord sees and the Lord knows. Psalm 147.10 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love. Men, when you go out to work and you think no one ever really sees the service that I offer or the time that I get there early and try to work a few extra hours in order to feed my family or to give some extra to my church or to just simply do the work that I have appointed to me and no one really appreciates me amongst my coworkers, even though I've stayed late, Your service is meaningful in the kingdom of God because you and I, we are to to be great in the kingdom of God, to be willing to offer service and, and to do it so humbly. And whatever we do to the glory of God, the Lord sees. And the Lord delights in your service that is offered in order to glorify Him. What can we offer really in humble service to the Lord that it would be acceptable to Him? Service in which He delights. C.S. Lewis, I think, helps us a little bit in the way on humility when he said, if anyone would wish to acquire humility, I can tell him the first step to first recognize that he is proud. Spurgeon said, I believe that every Christian man has the choice between being humble or by being humbled. The truth is we we are born with an innate self-absorption and a pride in self. And many of the ways in which we measure greatness are fundamentally ways in which we can build up, increase exponentially our pride in self. And Jesus in his call for greatness amongst his people says, come away from that service and humility. That's where greatness in the kingdom of God is measured. So how can I be great in the kingdom of God? How can I 
carry out, how can I pursue greatness in the body of Christ? Take an interest amongst your brothers and sisters. Show an interest in what they say. Be a good listener and put away the stories about yourself. Forget yourself ultimately and listen to what they are burdened by on any given week. And then when you hear that they are burdened, tell them, I'm going to be praying for you because I love you. And then do it. Don't just say it. Do it. And when you hear something that's advertised in the back of the bulletin or from the pulpit that is a need in the congregation and there's something to do, something to be done that will serve the body, then then take it up. If if you're not doing something else already and you're not already already doing two or three other tasks and you're really not doing anything in the church in service to your brothers and sisters in Christ, do something. Do something. God has given you the time and the ability and the resources most likely to do whatever you might be asked. But the limitations we place on what we do and are unwilling to do are really of our own making. You could be faithful. You could come weekly to church. You could be here to open the building and take some burden off of John and, and, and Kyle. You could help close up. You could. What's more important on the Lord's Day than to be found in the house of God? Didn't Jesus show us an example of just such a commitment to be in the house of God? You might say, well, I have so many other complications in my life. Well, free up those complications in the other six days of the week. And then on the seventh, which is the first day of the week for the believer, the Christian in the New Testament, Let that day be a day freed so that you can serve the Lord and your family can be found in the household of God and you yourself. How can you be great in the kingdom of God? Bring a contribution to the family fellowship meal after service and don't have any thought whatsoever about what others are going to think about your meal and whether or not you'll be appreciated for all the artistry of what you've created and the savoriness of the meal that you've brought Oh, I want to be praised for this wonderful meal. Stop thinking about yourself and start nurturing the body of Christ and and bring something that will ultimately not just be convenient and not just something that will be easy, but bring something that will be nourishing. Bring something that appeals to what you know your brothers and sisters in Christ love. Bring something that helps. Bring something that has them in mind and not yourself. And do that with every other thing that the church does, whether that's helping and serving on the day when we go to East Village Place. Come and serve. Set aside that time. Yes, we all know that you could benefit from a little bit more sleep. So could we. But be there in encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come and meet some people. Share the love of Christ with them. On the Lord's Day. On the Lord's day. Are we not people who hold to this reality that this is the day of worship and service and ministry? Or do we really only give lip service to that? It's the day of the Lord. It's the day that belongs to Him. And so unless we are working by necessity, we should be found in the house of the Lord or in some way serving God. Delighting in the Lord, taking up his word, reading, meditating, resting. 
from all our labors in delighting in our Savior and worshiping him. And so whatever you do, whatever you participate in, rather make certain that you govern yourself by this principle, not not by what praise you'll receive, but how will this edify the body of Christ and please the Lord and nourish my brothers and sisters in Christ? Stop offering to God something less than a wholehearted devotion. Stop making, stop offering God just some little piece of your life. Isn't it true that his complaint against one of the churches in Revelation was that they were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot? He would rather they were cold or hot. Shouldn't we be hot in pursuit of the Lord, hot towards seeking greatness in the kingdom of God, walking in humility and serving him and one another? You know, service and ministry are not a competition to be won, nor do we need the affirmation of others. And ultimately, fundamentally, you're not after their recognition. You're not after the recognition from the pulpit or from some other persons. I I do try to recognize the contributions people make, and there are many, and I can't remember them all, from piano playing to opening the building to closing the building to turning on lights to turning off lights to putting in that little stick in that TV over the back and turning on this this display. This and these are all wonderful things that people do. Uh, people take the covers off of the piano and lift the piano top, and and others prepare the coffee downstairs every week. Do we ever say thank you for any of those things? Do we ever offer any recognition to one another? Thank you for serving the body of Christ in this way. But at the same time, why are you doing those things? If, in fact, we are doing them for the sake of being recognized amongst one another, you're going to be disappointed because we don't all think in those terms. And even when I do appreciate, I fail to say everything that I'm thinking and feeling in that moment. It's not a Sunday I don't come in here and give thanks to God for the various people and the various tasks that they do. And I prayed for you on Saturdays, asking the Lord to help you and and to, to give you a zeal for the service of God. But maybe I don't say it every week, but but I say it often. And sometimes I can't remember to say it to everyone who does something in service to the body of Christ. But And I know there are more things that many do in this church. But is that really what we're after? Don't we, by nature, we want to be valued and appreciated, even recognized for the greatness of our enduring character and excellent gifts as we inflate our value and self-worth. And sometimes we even exaggerate who we are and the contributions we've made. We overstate our likableness. We think everybody likes us. Well, maybe we have a caustic personality, and that may not be true. We overestimate ourselves. We think that we have Job-like patient endurance. We think that we have such moral excellence. We are the best of friends. Anyone would want to be our friends. We are so deeply attractive, but we should be pursuing a greatness in service and humility and not overestimating our, our significance. We are children of the living God. We are not our own. And really, we are worse off than we think we are. And we are not as good as we think we are. And if we're doing everything for recognition and appreciation, 
good luck, you're going to be disappointed. Even if everyone tells you every week how great you are, you're still not going to be satisfied in the end. But we should pursue and we should desire the approbation of God and to hear that one statement at the end of our days when our soul separates from our body and ascends to God, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I need to hear. But it's hard in the day-to-day to live on that. We need to remind ourselves that there's nothing more wonderful to hear than that. There's nothing more wonderful than to see Christ in his greatness and to hear him speak in recognition of our service to him. In Philippians 2.3 it says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So when you hear people speaking, don't shut down their conversation by talking about yourself. There's nothing worse than when you're sharing something and you're saying, yes, this happened this last week. This is an accounting of the story that happened to me. And someone comes into the argument and says, or discussion and says, you know, 10 years ago I did this. The same thing happened. It was 10 times worse. I'm telling someone about two molars that you had pulled out and they come in and tell you that they had, they had eight molars removed. And that's what we do. We're measuring greatness. We're saying, I'm greater than you. My story is greater than yours. I want to point out one thing to you in this passage this morning, and it's, it's what Jesus says to the disciples at the end. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. He's speaking to men who have just been arguing about their greatness, and he's saying, look, this is who you are. This is where your greatness is measured. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. They have persevered with the Lord. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus has just used extraordinary language. My kingdom, my table, my Father. The king, the sovereign over all the universe, is standing before them and saying, I am am the one who reigns over the kingdom of God. It is my kingdom, this kingdom of heaven. It has been granted to me by the Father. And it's my table that one day you hope to sit at and eat. And I'm the one who's going to judge the world in righteousness who will send out to outer darkness and anguish of soul and eternal suffering all those who do not believe in me and have not repented of their sins and embraced me. Isn't He great? Isn't Jesus great? Isn't He the greatest being on in all the universe? He is the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of God, very God of very God, light of the world, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, the bread of life. 
I am the light of the world. I am the door through which you enter. I am the vine through which you are nourished. I am the good shepherd who will not lose you and does not lose a single one of you and you hear my voice. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, there is no other. In all of these things, He is pointing to you and to me and He's saying there is none greater than any but me. Now follow my example. This passage is not ultimately about your and my service and your and my progress in humility and service to the Lord. That is a secondary purpose. This first purpose of this passage is to point to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Yes, he is great. There's none greater. He is morally superior. He has never sinned or yielded to temptation, though he was tempted as we are and yet without sin, as it says. He suffered through great suffering. And he died a great death. And by his great power, he rose from the dead, taking up his life once again. And he now lives as the greatest Savior. None can compare to him. No other name can be postulated by anywhere in the world as being greater than the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who gave His life for sinners. No one can begin to approach that greatness. He is the one who deserves to recline at the table and to be served by His minions for all eternity without giving anything out. But that's not who He is. He is there at the table of the disciples. He is promising them a share in His bounty in, the, in, in eternity, He has washed their feet and He has served them their food. He's hours away from offering His life for their salvation and for ours. And He's arguing with them. He's not arguing. They're arguing over who's great. All they have to do is lift their eyes and get out of their own foolish ways and see there is a great one. There is the greatest of all there in their midst. The Son of God. If the Lord Jesus Christ could get on His knees and wash filthy feet, I'm going to ask you to finish the sentence. If the Lord Jesus Christ could get on His feet and wash His knees and wash filthy feet of undeserving disciples arguing over their intrinsic greatness and not recognizing His then surely I can serve the Lord Jesus in this way. If the Lord Jesus Christ could get on his knees and wash filthy feet of undeserving disciples, surely I cannot take offense over the lack of recognition of feeling a little bit under underappreciated or unappreciated in this particular area of my life. Where have we failed to serve him? In what way are we holding back while waiting for and working for a recognition that's more self-oriented? Now, make no mistake, Jesus is not saying the way to greatness is to, in other words, the way to achieve a higher position in the kingdom of God is to act humbly and to walk in low service. No, low service itself humble service to God when not appreciated, when feeling that no one really understands who I am or what I'm doing for them, that in itself, that very position is 
true greatness. You get my point? Jesus is not saying that somehow if you offer low service to Christ and if you walk humbly amongst your brothers and sisters, making more of them than you do yourself, that He'll lift you up and you'll get promoted to a higher position. No, He says ultimately in this passage that if you serve Him in a low condition and you serve Him without the desire for recognition apart from His glory and Him to be honored, the very office that you reside in, the very the, the very work that you're producing, and the very service that you're offering in its humble place is in fact the very greatness that you desire. You've achieved it. There it is. It's intrinsic to the work you do. May God help us to see the greatness of our Savior. And may God help us to pursue the one who is greater than all. Let's pray.